Welcome to another episode of the Spoon Mob Podcast. This week, I am joined by Chef Vinny Samino. He is the executive chef and co-owner of Cordelia, which is up in Cleveland, Ohio. If you haven't heard about Cordelia, it's a relatively new restaurant. They've only been open for you know less than a year. The interesting thing about their restaurant space is that they took over a spot on East 4th Street downtown, which if you're unfamiliar with Cleveland, it's probably like two streets over from where the Cavs play and the Cavs play right next to the Guardian. So like there's the two stadiums there. And you're probably also within like a 10 to 15 minute walk from like the Brown Stadium. It's where a lot of stuff is. There's a a bowling alley. I think a House of Blues kind of like right around the corner there. There's the Cleveland Clothing Shop and a bunch of different restaurants. It's kind of blocked off from car traffic so they can do some deliveries. It comes in a little bit, but you can't park. You can't drive up and down the street or anything like that. The famous restaurants that were pretty much on the block there before that everybody kind of knows about were the Greenhouse Tavern, which was Jonathan Sawyer's restaurant. He won a James Beard Award. And then also Michael Simon's restaurant, Lola, which also won a James Beard Award. So the two James Beard Award winning chefs ever from the Cleveland area both had restaurants pretty much right next to each other. And Cordelia took over the space for Lola after it closed. So they're kind of building their own legacy and then they have to contend with this legacy restaurant from Cleveland that was there for a number of years, a very famous chef on the Food Network and all that stuff. So we kind of touch on all that, you know, how they wound up finding the space, what they did to change it, you know, how Vinny got started in the industry. He's been working around the Cleveland area for a number of years, different concepts, different restaurants, and what led to him kind of wanting to start his own thing and where they're at now and kind of where they feel like they're headed and everything. So it's a super fascinating conversation. Vinny's an awesome dude, great food, and another awesome restaurant in Cleveland that's kind of taken over and kind of pushing everything forward and taking over the mantle from, you know, these two departed restaurants that were, you know, award-winning restaurants and they're both closed now and gone. And so Cleveland's kind of rebuilding itself from a food standpoint, but it's also not like it's also just kind of spreading out too as well. You had these two iconic restaurants that everybody was familiar with. And now kind of what happens to a food scene when those are gone? And it's kind of a rising tide lifts all boats thing. Uh, There's a bunch of different new concepts and spread out across the area that are all uh, super delicious. I mean, Doug Katz has restaurants up there. Saul, you know, Jill, she has restaurant up there working on another one. So there's great chefs up there that people may have overlooked previously because they were always gravitating towards, you know, these two primary restaurants that, like I said, are no longer there. So you can follow Vinny on Instagram. Uh, his handle is at Chef Vinny Semino. It's all one word. Also the restaurant you can follow at Cordelia, C-L-E. And then also his pop-up at Fatboy underscore Sammy's. And that's S-A-M-M-I-E-S. And also the food bank uh, that he started during COVID at CLE Family Meal too as well is that handle. You of course can follow us on Instagram at SpoonMob, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, all that stuff. You can find us. Check out the website, SpoonMob.com. You can write in questions, comments, feedback. Check out the different pages that we have for all of our guests. So we keep them up to date too with any new information, your restaurant concepts, if they left a restaurant, moved, opened something new, whatever. It's all up there. Well, we keep a running update until you know everybody winds up returning and then we kind of cover those updates, just kind of do the same thing over and over again. So um, we follow along with everybody, but you can follow along with us too there. There's also links to all their episodes um, up there on the website so you can get to them. But you can find us on any of the podcast apps, players, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Amazon Music, all that stuff. We usually post a link too as well with every new episode that comes out in the Instagram story, but you can also find that in our Instagram bio too as well. And so if you're following us there, you know, easy access to all the episodes. And make sure to follow us on whatever podcast platform that you're using just so all new episodes 
download straight into your feed as soon as they come out, Thursdays, 1 a.m., and then we have some mini update episodes with returning guests that usually come out on Tuesdays. It's not every week with Tuesdays or anything. It's just as we record them, we kind of push them out. It's a little bit more sporadic and kind of free-flowing there. You can also check out our YouTube channel. We put all the episodes up on YouTube. They just come out a week later than they do all the podcast apps. But without any further delays, here's my conversation with Chef Vinny Semino, the chef and co-owner of Cordelia in Cleveland, Ohio. Thanks again for coming on the podcast, taking some time out of your Monday evening here, which is usually the days that most chefs have off. Uh, it's usually Monday just because it's slow for the restaurant industry. I first kind of learned about you know you and some of your story. You are a restaurant that replaced a very famous restaurant in Cleveland, which we'll get into, and everything that goes on with that. And after they closed, people that are familiar with the Cleveland restaurant scene would you know, we're always kind of looking at like, well, what's going to take over that space? Who's going to follow and everything. And it's been you guys and you're off to a great success so far and uh, open for, I think maybe about nine months or so. Around seven now. So close to kind of three quarters of a year, but guys taking home some early awards and gotten some uh, recognition too as well. So I want to get into all that stuff too, but I always like to start with everybody at the beginning. How did you kind of first get involved in the industry and hospitality? Because I mean, you're kind of a local guy, right? You're originally from Akron. So did you first like get interested in cooking through just working in restaurants in high school or like how did all that kind of materialize for you? You know, I grew up in a very big, I guess, hospitality driven family. Uh, My grandmother on my father's side owned a bar slash restaurant when I was growing up. Uh, that we would frequent pretty often. I'd work it from time to time. It was this little hole in the wall spot that was very grandma forward, you know, a uh, uh, local hangout in a college town uh, here in Ohio called Kent. Spent a lot of time there. Uh, my dad has eight brothers and sisters. So it's always been a very big family atmosphere. Uh, all the you know, family get together multiple times a year. Like I said, very big in uh, the hospitality format as far as hosting it at different people's houses, having big family functions. I was always very comfortable in that setting. What took off for me was I went to college in South Carolina at the Citadel, military college in Charleston, probably the worst food known to man. But in Charleston, um, I would stay down there in the summers, work in hospitality and restaurants and everything else. You know, I, I really found a, a place, I guess. Um, I really found like a, a niche of what I really enjoyed doing. And this is, I started off working a lot in the front of the house as a, as a server, as a bartender, and then eventually, you know, matriculating to the back of the house because I, I always enjoyed eating food and tasting food. And I, I wanted to learn more about why I enjoyed those things. And it was just a very natural transition for me to just kind of go back to the back of the house, I guess. So that kind of led me to where I am today. In a sense, in a very short explanation, I, like I said, I've always really enjoyed food and culture. The restaurant scene uh, gave me this uh, sense of belonging and purpose. I was always very good at the hard work parts when it came to restaurants. Like that was where I was able to excel. I might not have known how to do anything or know everything about food, but all those things I quickly learned were all things that could be taught and learned and you never really learn everything. It's a continuing growth and development and education. And you're always pushing yourself to learn more, to do more. And then in my, for instance, now like continuing to push others around me to learn more and do more and continuing that, that evolution of, you know, 
hospitality and culture and cuisine. And we're definitely in, in an age of not as many people go to culinary school. I didn't go to culinary school. I just learned from surrounding myself with good people who are willing to open up to me and show me, uh, you know, what they learned. Uh, and I took that to heart and I want to continue to do that to, you know, as many people as I can that I surround myself with, you know, continue to teach and as help develop anybody and everybody who wants to, to learn as much as I can. Did you end up working at your grandparents' restaurant? Usually when people have kind of a restaurant within the family, right? Like they wind up their first job, dishwashing, busing tables, something like that. They wind up there after school or whatever, you know, it's kind of this natural place where they wind up. So was that kind of the same situation for you? Like after school, that's where you were and that's how you started to, to go for you? Pretty much same situation on breaks after school. You know, I would work as a busser essentially. Nothing really in, involved in, in much of anything, but you know, I got to kind of keep an eye out for things, watch my grandmother work, watched her, her and my grandfather, you know, do different things within that, that space. And you know, what always really resonated with me was not necessarily the food then, but the the hospitality and the culture that they created and how many people, the people that came in on the, the daily basis, the regulars that they made, the the people who, you know, still talk about the restaurants to this day and, you know, what it meant to them in, in those ways. And it was just a, you know, a little deli slash bar in a college town. That's a lot what I took away from that experience was that mentality of, of hospitality and culture that wasn't necessarily tied to cuisine by in any way, shape, or form, but the way that they made people feel that came in and out of that restaurant. Now, you went to high school at St. Vincent St. Mary, right? So very famous high school for those. Most people probably know of it by now for one specific person, LeBron James. So were you above him in, in high school, close, never crossed paths? I was two years above him in high school. So when I was a junior, he was a freshman. What was that environment like when he was there? You know, his games wind up, I think, when he's like a senior or on ESPN. Like, obviously, you graduated at that point, but the hype started, you know, when he's in high school. Like, what was that like being in a high school situation? It was an exciting time. So, I definitely remember very specific parts of it. And, you know, LeBron was, it was fun to be around. So, by the time he was coming in as a freshman, I was captain of the wrestling team. So, the wrestling team at the time was a very, it was a big sport for St. V. Like it was one that we were quite good at. By the time I was a senior, we ended up winning state. Knowing that he was coming in, uh, there was a group called the Chemistry where you like had the chauffeur around younger incoming freshmen. Uh, I was one of uh, the students in charge of chauffeuring around LeBron and showing him things and you know around the school and getting him kind of set up. So we didn't run in similar circles, but we knew a lot of the same individuals. And because of our, our sports involvement, we're always around each other pretty frequently. I talked to him a couple of times since high school. He seems to be a, a touch more famous than I am and in a little bit of a different tax bracket and area code these days. But I had a, a couple of classes with his uh, business partner, Maverick, back in the day. So uh, Maverick and I still see each other on occasion when he comes home. He stopped by the restaurant a couple of times. LeBron's been by, not to the new restaurants, but to the old restaurants a couple of times. The nice thing about Akron and especially like even things like St. V, like there was definitely still a close knit community. Um, I know a lot of his his friends and a lot of his former classmates and, and basketball players. A lot of our kids go to school together. So I see a lot of them more. And it's, you know, again, they all speak very highly of who he is and what he's doing. And it's just, you know, everybody supporting everybody from, you know, the local neighborhoods and the local schools. After you graduate, 
you go to the Citadel, like you mentioned, why? Because you studied, I think, political science, philosophy. What was your intended career path? Why'd you go there? I went there on a wrestling scholarship. My intended career path, uh, to be honest, at the time, like I, my first major in college was computer science. I quickly realized that math might not be my strongest suit, but I always liked learning. And that's where political science and philosophy, and I had a minor in English and, and history, uh, kind of took me too, because I, I enjoyed education. I enjoyed learning. I enjoyed you know expanding my knowledge of things. And I think that's why the culinary world kind of took to me so well was because I know that it's ever evolving. I know you're never going to learn everything. And the fact that you're it's a continuously learning environment um, is really what attracts me so much to it. You know, really what I love about food and cooking is that, you know, there's something new every single day. You're never going to learn every single thing. You know, everybody cooks differently around the world. You're always pushing yourself to learn more about food and cuisine and, and the cultures of that food and cuisine. What was the food like at the Citadel? Was it college-esque, you know, college cafeteria, or was it more military-styled kind of food? Not like MREs, essentially, but a little bit more gritty or casual. I don't know what terminology you'd want to use for it, but... I can tell you that the the same company that catered and did the food for the Citadel was the same company that catered and did the food for the local prison. It was not great. I remember we ate a lot out of the commissary that was there, and it was mostly canned goods and deviled ham salads and crackers and Pop-Tarts as much as humanly possible because anything you ate in the mess hall was atrocious. I remember sitting there one day, and they gave us grits, and you could take the bowl of grits and turn it, invert it completely upside down, and the grits would stay in the bowl. They would never move. It was not the best food. Luckily, I wrestled when I was there, so I didn't eat a lot of it. Not eating and wrestling go kind of hand in hand. So I didn't have to worry too much about that. When I did, it was not pleasant. But it was in Charleston. And on my weekends, you know, away or when we were allowed to leave campus, I always found myself going and trying new things in the city. And a lot of things I I tried for the first time in that city. And that's really when I, you know, fell in love with eating food and, you know, wanting to learn more about food was because of that. So you wrestled for like a long period of time. Like you said, you were on a scholarship. I think you were wrestling for you know years. Yeah, I think about 16. And then you wind up basically sustaining an injury and that kind of ends your wrestling career, right? Blew out my knee. I dislocated two bones in my left knee and they were pretty much like tore tendon. That's basically it. Don't recommend doing it any, anymore. So that was like the last of a multitude of injuries that I'd had throughout my, my wrestling career. Did you have plans with wrestling to go farther? Like, I don't really know what would be next after college. Is it, you know, trying out for kind of like to make the Olympic team? Or was that kind of like you just wanted to do it that helped you kind of go through college and you got the scholarship? Yeah, I don't think I necessarily had any plans. You know, something that I, I always did. And it was something that afforded me some abilities of doing some travel and was able to, to get me a scholarship into to college. I don't think there was any thought of afterwards you know, wrestling is definitely one of those grueling sports. Uh, it wasn't necessarily one of the things that I was the most passionate about, but something I, you know, ended up was able to do quite well and it was able to help me in, in some regards. And it's something that definitely taught me a lot of discipline and a lot of, you know, focus and hard work, you know, which I still take round of me to this day. Now I do have a, an almost four-year-old son. If I could say that he's going to wrestle, I can't quite tell you that, you know, it's definitely a lot of, you know, trials and tribulations, but, um, Lots of ups and downs, met a lot of people along the way, but it wasn't for wrestling or going to the Citadel, probably wouldn't be 
who I am today and I wouldn't have made some of the decisions I did about, you know, my culinary endeavors uh, that have led me to where I am. So once you graduate, you move back to Akron, right? Like you didn't stay in South Carolina? I didn't stay in South Carolina. Uh, turns out living on your own in Charleston is very expensive, very expensive, uh, lots of vices in the city as a, you know, young, early 20s kid, like uh, those things don't add up. Uh, I ended up moving back home, moving back to Akron, working in a couple of restaurants, still in the front of the house. And then eventually uh, I started working in the kitchen uh, at a restaurant outside of Akron called Russo's. I started off as just a, like they needed a, a fill-in dishwasher because somebody was out during the day. I filled in dishwashing, doing some preps up during the day and then would serve at night. And then eventually like it needed to grow into being like helping on the pantry area. And then they were like, you know, we'll, we'll pretty much match what you're making hourly serving. If you help us out, is it cool? Like I said, from there, I, I just really uh, enjoyed it. I enjoyed the creativity behind it. I enjoyed working with my hands. I really enjoyed like just being in that fast paced environment, uh, which is one of the reasons I enjoyed working in restaurants in, in general, but being able to make things taste good that people enjoyed. But yeah, that was my first you know, real endeavor of, of a full-time employment in, in the kitchen. I had like other experiences as far as, I, you know, I didn't know that there were stages back in the day, but going in the back and seeing how things were done for an afternoon, you know, hanging out with uh, some of the, the cooks and having them show me why they do the things so I could better explain them as a, a server, which was always my goal to be able to translate that, that narrative from, you know, the back of the house to the front of the house and be able to, you know, further tell that story further helped me garner more tips. It all kind of started then. I had an unfortunate accident one February where I fell and sliced open my hand and had to have some surgery done and was out of work for a little bit. And then when I was able to come back to work, the day before I was supposed to come back to work, the the sous chef at the time called me and told me that uh, they unfortunately had given away my job and that I was welcome to come back at a lower rate at a different position. And eventually I was like, no, thank you. I will look for something else. So I was a kid. It was, you know, it was uh, an interesting time still trying to find myself and still wasn't making the most uh, proper decisions about life. And I put no blame on them at, at that point in time. They were overpaying me for my qualifications. You know, it's kind of an awkward start. Did you ever have a, a moment or anything that made you kind of go all in with, you know, the career in hospitality and kitchens, you know, you're at the Citadel, you graduate, you come back, you're wrestling for a number of years, you have the injury, but is all that kind of combined? And then you just kind of like, well, I'm interested in this. Or did you have a moment where it's like, you know, that's what I want to do. You know, I, I can't do these other things or I don't want to do th these other things I was doing anymore. I want to do this. Sure. I mean, I think at least for me, there was working in the, you know, what I would refer to then as the service industry was a, I have no fucking clue what I'm going to do with my life kind of thing. Didn't know what I was going to do. It was, a, it was a, a way that I could make some money. I could have some fun. I could meet new people. You know, I enjoyed eating. I was starting to enjoy cooking. Still trying to figure out, you know, like I said, young, trying to figure out what I want to do in life. I kind of had that same mentality for quite some time. Like just kind of fell into it as being more of a career, you know, working through different restaurants. Uh, after I left Russo's, I went and worked uh, for a country club for uh, a summer and as a sous chef eventually wasn't what I wanted to do. It didn't really give me any joy to do it, but I eventually started working for a restaurant in Akron called Ken Stewart, which was like an old school steakhouse. 
you know, had been established for about, I think, 25 years before I started working there, maybe maybe 20 years. And I started from the bottom there as a, a garmage cook. And, you know, over the course of about three and a half years, maybe three years, worked my way up to a, a sous chef position and then ultimately worked for that group for about six plus years. Even then, like when I left that opportunity, it wasn't until I left that opportunity that I realized that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I started off in Akron. We ended up opening up a restaurant in Cleveland, and I worked there for about a little over a year. But by the time I, I started off there as like the a sous chef, by the time I left there, I was the, the beverage director, the assistant general manager, the sous chef, the accountant, everything. It was like I had to do a little bit of, a little bit of everything, paying me a decent amount of money for what it was back in the day. And, but I wasn't happy. I wasn't satisfied with what I was doing. I was, I was really looking forward to uh, looking for something that was going to push me. At this point in time, I was really realizing that I loved cooking and food. And it was something I wasn't doing as often anymore with all the other hats that I was wearing. And so I, I was seeking out other things. And, you know, being in Cleveland, there are really two names that you wanted to work for. And, you know, whether it was Michael Simon or Jonathan Sawyer. Uh, and at the time, you know, Michael Simon was his already, you know, well-known big wig uh, chef doing great things. Uh, but he seemed to be not as around as much. Um, and then where Jonathan Sawyer was, a you know, more of a newer name doing really awesome, like different things, very Midwestern. And, you know, all of a sudden they, they uh, put out an ad, they were hiring for a sous chef. Well, technically they put out two ads. I applied once and the chef de cuisine at the time, Brian Goodman, made the mistake of forgetting my resume when I went to the interview, told me that I would have to work for him for over a year before I would ever be considered to be a, a sous chef and that I would have to work basically as a dishwasher and work my way up, even though I was already uh, an established sous chef at a neighboring restaurant. And then eventually I applied again a couple months later. He got me in for a stage. I staged for probably 18 hours. And then they you know, hired me that afternoon You know where... I had to have a conversation with my wife where I was making at the time roughly around fifty-five, $56,000 a year to becoming a sous chef, again, working a lot more hours and making, I think it was $34,000 a year. And we had just bought a house and we just uh, celebrated the our one-year-old daughter's birthday and we had to figure out what was next. And luckily, my my wife is my partner in everything and she was like, listen, like you're, you're not happy doing what you're doing. This is going to make you happy. This is going to put you in a place that you want to go and give you a trajectory to where you want to be. Uh, she goes, all the other shit is just background noise. Like, we'll make it all work. We'll figure out what we need to do. And, you know, that was the turning point in my career. I, I started as a fourth sous chef at Greenhouse Tavern, uh, working 90 hours a week. Within a year, Jonathan had won the James Beard Award, which helped us out a lot and, you know, gave us a lot more uh, momentum and gave us a lot more publicity. Within a year of my employment at Greenhouse, I was named uh, CDC and was able to, you know, really, you know, showcase who I was and what I wanted to do. And, it, and again, at this point in time, like I still knew so much less about food than everybody around me. It was just that I knew that I could put my nose to the ground and I was in it to win it. Like I wasn't going to stop pushing myself to learn and pushing myself to grow and, you know, knowing that. I was a, a constant sponge picking up everything from everybody around me and trying to read as many books as I could and ask as many questions as I could. And, 
you know, but you know, my work ethic was always the, you know, I don't, I don't want to say the difference, but I never let up and I never stopped wanting to grow and learn and to be better than I was the day before. Um, and I, to this day, still have that same mentality. Like, you know, I, I never want to stop, you know, at this point in time, like I'm constantly growing. I might not be growing as much as I was before, but I, I push myself to, to be a better mentor and a, a better leader, you know, a better father, everything uh, all the way around to make sure that I'm, you know, doing more than I was yesterday and pushing myself to be better tomorrow. So when you're at the Greenhouse Tavern, like you mentioned, you know, you're there, the James Beard Award goes to Sawyer. I think that's like 2015. And that's a big deal. Like, I mean, the only other person that's ever won a James Beard Award in Cleveland was Michael Simon in like 08. And so that makes it the restaurant in Cleveland. Like that's the place. When that happens and you're the CDC, you know, after, everybody still knows the restaurant as Jonathan Sawyer, he's the chef. But you're the one who's there every day cooking, running the kitchen every day. You know, you're in charge of the restaurant, but any press that comes out, it's going to say Jonathan Sawyer's new menu is blah, 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 whether he's there or not. How do you navigate that? How do you overcome that where you're like, you're running this award winning restaurant, but nobody outside of the industry probably knows who you are? A hundred percent, you know, and I think the mentality back then was it was an honor to be there, you know, and I think the mentality in a lot of the service industry back in the day, like when you're working at a, a good or great restaurant, like it was a privilege to be there. And a lot of people made it feel like, hey, like it's a privilege to be here. Like we don't have to have you. There's a line at the door. You know, everybody wants your job in a sense. And I think, you know, part of that was was always ingrained into me. And then at the same time, like it was, you know, you know, I knew what my place was. I knew it wasn't my restaurant. I knew that I felt privileged to be there at, at times. And I felt like it was, I wasn't necessarily looking for the, the acknowledgement or the accolades. Like I was still so new and never felt like deserving of any of it that I was just trying to absorb everything I could and be, you know, grateful for the experiences that I got. And, you know, it, it was such a learning opportunity for me in so many ways. And looking back at it, a lot of it was a whole lot of learning what not to do rather than what to do, but it was still such a, a you know, a, an experience that changed me and my personality and my, my culinary, you know, future for forever, you know, and a lot of it, like, you know, how you said, like it's Jonathan Sawyer's restaurant it always uh, was, it always will be, but it was the people inside of that restaurant is what made it so great. And that's when you look back at it and see like the people that you work with day in and day out, like those are the people who change the menu. Those are the people who push each other to learn more, to do more, to, you know, it was a competition to see how many, people, how many menu items you can get on the menu, you know, when it came menu time. And every week we uh, had a, a fifth quarter uh, that was a, a rotating menu item that we used, you know, odd bits of, uh, of the animal to create something. We push each other to create different things and new things and push each other to do different techniques and, you know, to learn more. And that's what made that restaurant great were, were the people inside of it. And not to take away anything from Jonathan, he, you know, created it and gave us the, the platform to do the things that we did. You know, when I was there, like, you know, in my early times, like, I didn't work with Jonathan one bit. I don't even know if he knew my name for the first six months I was there. The CDC at the time he brought me in, took me under his wing. I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot from the other sous chefs. And then eventually the CDC became the director of operations when they were doing going through an expansion. And then I became the CDC. And then from there, like I was able to, you know, come into the fold more. But, you know, during my time there, up until when we won, won the Beard Award, after we won the Beard Award, Sawyer wasn't necessarily around as much. You know, he's going out and doing different things, you know, uh, they're traveling, he's 
writing books, you know, uh, there's with the beard awards come so many other, other avenues, I guess. So that's the, the avenue that he chose to go about it. We're back at home base. It essentially became our restaurant, which was another opportunity for us to grow and to learn. Like we were there day to day operations. We were in it trying to figure out how to, uh, make more money, uh, more food, do different things, you know, how to continue to try to push to stay relevant to do, you know, what we needed to do to, to make the, the tavern the best that it could during our, our tenure. Saying all that too, there's two ways that you could wind up opening your own restaurant. And it's either you find financing on your own or you work at an award-winning restaurant catches the eye of somebody who's willing to invest. So when all that happens, the award, you know, James Beard Award happens, you're the CDC, it's expanding, obviously all the eyes locally and even probably Chicago and, and some neighboring cities are kind of on what's going on with Sawyer's Restaurant Group. Knowing that, does that kind of put a clock on you knowing that if I want to open my own restaurant, the time's going to be coming up? You know what I mean? Like you're not going to stay at the restaurant for six years and be the CDC. Like if an opportunity comes and it makes sense for you, like you're going to take it, but you're kind of hoping and looking around like, all right, these people within, you know, the financial side of thing are looking to do something. You're on a short list at that point. To an extent. Yeah. And, and, you know, like I said before, like I almost always felt undeserving of my position when I was at Greenhouse too. Like I, I got started in the industry late. Like I didn't actually start cooking professionally until I was probably 24. I think it was 24, somewhere around in there. And maybe it was 25. But at that point in time, like that's, it was a little bit late. Like I didn't go to culinary school. You know, I kind of lucked into a couple of different uh, places. You know, I, a lot of hard work, you know, helped me to get to where I was, but I still always felt very under undeserving because of so many other people just knew so much more than I did. And I always use it as fuel to continue to push myself to learn more, to do more, you know, even to this day, still feel like, you know, they're so many other better chefs out there. Like so many people that I look up to that push me and drive me on a day-to-day basis. You know, when I'm in that mentality, like I see other chefs who had left Greenhouse and are going on to, to start, you know, doing uh, their own restaurants and, you know, getting backing and funding. In the back of my mind, like I know that it's always a possibility. I never felt truly ready to open up a restaurant until we opened up Cordelia. I didn't truly feel that I was ready to do something on my own as me putting myself out there until, you know, coming out of the pandemic or going through the pandemic, I guess. Like the pandemic really opened up my eyes to a lot of things that I was like, you know what? I'm not believing in myself enough to push myself to that next level until all the shit went down the pandemic and, you know, we came out of it the other side. And then I was like, all right, like, and I told my partner this when we first discussed opening up Cordelia, I was like, you know, it wasn't until I was told him a couple of years ago, you would have come to me to, uh, with this opportunity or came to me and said like, Hey, let's open up a restaurant. I would still said yes. Don't get me wrong, but would not have resoundingly said yes, knowing that I could do it. I would have said yes with a lot of apprehension. I've had a lot of anxiety going into it and more panic attacks than I already had. But it wasn't until, you know, finding myself more after my time at Greenhouse, which was like my first really, truly big restaurant that I had worked in. And Sawyer was the first great chef that I got to to work with and so many people I got to work with. Like I was I didn't know how to stand on my own yet. I didn't know who I needed to be in order to be able to to open up a restaurant, to lead people into believing in a space or anything like that until until the pandemic. And I had to figure out who I was and who I truly wanted to be. 
So, I mean, you know, I learned a ton of uh, stuff at Sawyer's. Like I said, a lot of what to do, what not to do. After Greenhouse, well, I should say, I eventually became the corporate chef for all of Team Sawyer. And then I was like the traveling sous chef. I spent a lot more time with Sawyer. In a sense, you know, ran uh, our other sister restaurants, uh, Trentina. And then eventually, you know, it all kind of came to a halt. We shut down our uh, fast casual ramen shop. We shut down Trentina. There was only one restaurant left, and that was the Greenhouse Tavern. This was in twenty, the end of 2018. And with one restaurant, there was no need for a corporate chef anymore. So they'd already had a chef at, at Greenhouse. So my position kind of dissolves. And so I was luckily through my connections of Sawyer, you know, I was able to link up with uh, Michael Schwartz from Michael's Genuine Food and Drink in Miami. They were in the process of opening up our sister store in Ohio. 30 minutes outside of, of Cleveland, right down the street from where we had Trentina. Uh, and I was able to kind of transition into them. And to me, it was like, oh shit, like now, you know, I got to work for one James Beard Award winner. We won a, a beard. And then now I get to work for another James Beard Award winner. Like I'm just, I have all these op- wonderful opportunities to continue to learn and to grow. Um, unfortunately, my experience with uh, the Schwartz group didn't work out. Uh, I wasn't with them for a very long time. I think it ended up being about a four month stent. We, just had different ideas in different directions. And at that point in time, like I said, like I, you know, I, I was ready to kind of step into my own. I'd worked for, for Jonathan for a long time. I had ideas. I wanted to do things. And then with Michael, it was, you know, he had his ideas that he wanted to do. It wasn't uh, the right, the right fit. So I helped them uh, open up their space and, and got them going. And then eventually went back and worked for Sawyer for a couple more months as a consultant, as he was opening up some other venues. But the writing on the wall for that was very clear that there wasn't a future in it for me anymore. So I had to figure out what else to do. And a friend called me who was opening up a, was going to be the general manager of a restaurant in Lakewood, Ohio, which is about 15 minutes west of downtown Cleveland in a a nice spot that they were remodeling and putting millions of dollars into it. And it was right on the water. It was gorgeous. Offered me a a pretty hefty sum. And I was like, well, right now I don't really have a job. So this sounds pretty good. And you know, pretty much had, didn't give me any direction what to do. So I got to kind of create my own direction in a sense. Uh, so I was able to like, you know, kind of take that from scratch. And, and at that point, I still didn't know exactly who I was or what I wanted to do. Uh, I just knew that I had a whole bunch of ideas and a whole bunch of things that I wanted to try to do. And uh, that restaurant was called Summer House. It, uh, it was a very interesting ownership group. I learned a lot from that experience as far as, you know, the openings of things how to do things, how not to do things again. And then we opened up that restaurant and then six days after we opened it, the pandemic hits. And then I was like, what the fuck now? You know, we're working 90 hours a week, opening up restaurants and figuring things out. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hits. And a lot of it had to do with right before that as well, Greenhouse Tavern closed. And, you know, our opening staff of Summer House ended up being 80% old employees from Greenhouse because all of a sudden they were, out of a job. You know, they closed their doors very abruptly. And we were fortunate at Summer House to be in the midst of our hiring process. I was able to bring on a bunch of old colleagues and friends to come and work with us. And then the pandemic hit. And then we looked at around. I was like, well, fuck, all these people just lost their job. And now they're out of work again. Like, we need to do something. And then in that time is when we started uh, this nonprofit called Cleveland Family Meal, where we just started cooking and feeding people. And from that moment, like I got so much clarity of like what really needed to happen. And I was viewing my industry in such a 
uh, a narrow light that it was wasn't just about me and about food and about making sure things were like perfect every time on, on a plate, but you know it was about the people and it was about you know how how we treated the people and, and we couldn't do it all ourselves and it was just really just snowballed really fast into an eye opening experience of like what needed to happen you know where at least in my mind you know the the industry needed to go and it was less away from the service endangered servitude side of things to really focusing on the hospitality side of things, focusing just as much on our inward hospitality as we do our outward hospitality and really, you know, showing people that we, we care for them and that we appreciate them choosing us to spend their time with. Are you still doing the Cleveland family meal or was that kind of just a pandemic associated thing? We did the majority of our work during the pandemic. It is still a thing. We do fundraisers a couple times a year for different avenues. Obviously with the war was happening, still happening in Ukraine. Cleveland was, and I think like the third most Ukrainian immigrants uh, coming into the States. So we were raising money to help the Ukrainian immigrants, you know, whether it was, I think at the time we were getting a lot of them, we were uh, raising money to buy coats for them and different things and donating to the relief funds. Obviously during the pandemic, it was an everyday thing. You know, we were cooking every day. We were doing markets three times a week. We don't do as much as we used to, but it's still uh, an avenue that we utilize in order to be able to give back to our communities, to be able to raise money uh, for specific causes. Pandemic happens. You're doing the food bank, you know, Cleveland family meal. I guess it gets labeled as a food bank. Maybe that's not exactly the right terminology where people would associate with, but uh, fundraising and, and some charity and giving back and stuff. But you also launch your own pop-up for a time, right? Fat Boy Sammy's. So you start kind of tinkering around with your own concept too. Was that something that was in the moment or was that something that you envisioned to be able to open later on down the road at that time? Fat Boy Sammy's was definitely an in-the-moment thing. It was an outlet for creativity. When we opened up Summer House, like I said, the Greenhouse closed. Uh, I had reconnected with a guy I used to work with at Greenhouse in a very loose sense named Ryan Boone, who he saw the writing on the wall that Greenhouse was closing. He reached out to me at this point in time. He was uh, the sous chef slash pastry chef at Greenhouse. When I known him, uh, he was mostly just a knucklehead back waiter and host on occasion. So we never really worked together professionally. But when Greenhouse was closing, he reached out to me saying like, hey, like, I don't know. I left my teaching job because I, I realized that I really love cooking. I got to work at Greenhouse. I've been the sous chef for like three months now, and now we're closing. I don't know what to do. We'd love an opportunity to come and work with you and learn more. Uh, so he came over. He helped me open up Summer House. Uh, we pretty much had a, an immediate connection as far as, you know, we were both very passionate, very driven individuals. I was still learning who I was in this next step of my life. He was trying to figure out his next steps in his life, just in a little bit of a, of a different scale. When Everything went down with the pandemic and, you know, I left Summer House. He left Summer House. He was the one who, who we did Cleveland Family Meal together, trying to figure out what he was doing. I was trying to figure out what I was doing and I was doing some consulting. He was working at some restaurants, but, but both of us really needed to figure out other avenues of, of income, especially. And as my last consulting gig was coming to the conclusion and he was struggling to, to figure out like what his next steps were and you know, at this point in time, like the pandemic was still very heightened. Unemployment wasn't quite there anymore. All trying to this kind of struggle of what was the, the next opportunity and, you know, not just going to work for somebody to just to do something. Uh, that's when we came up with Fat Boy Sammy's, which was like this 
you know, fun way for us to, you know, get out our creative, uh, you know, have some creative freedoms with making some like interesting, like 90s themed, like sandwiches, you know, you know, around the country, we noticed a bunch of other people doing some things too. Like we were very much, you know, in- inspired by the the turkeys of the wolves and, you know, in New Orleans. And it's like, like, you know, like we can make sandwiches. Like we have fun making sandwiches all the time. Like let's just kind of lean into that and go about and, you know, do some pop-ups around town. And to be honest, like not a whole lot went in, of thought went into it other than like, we've been doing this nonprofit for a while. They always tell you to, you know, you, when the, the airplane starts to go down, like the oxygen mask come out, like you got to put your oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on your kids next year. You got to take care of yourself first. So we're like, all right, well, let's, let's kind of think about this again. Like, you know, we've been focusing all of our time on feeding everybody. And Ryan looks at me and goes like, you know, we've been feeding all these out of work hospitality people for so long. And he goes, I've been out of work this entire time. You know, like we're, we weren't necessarily thinking about what was right in front of us. So we took a step back and we wanted to, you know, have fun and cook again. And that's where Fat Boy, Fat Boy Sammy's came into play. And we, you know, started doing some pop-ups around uh, town, different breweries, uh, a local bowling alley, and having fun with it. And then, you know, it definitely became more popular and was able to, you know, put some food on the table. But fuck, was it a lot of work? It was lugging around uh, Blackstone grills to farms and get tents and setting everything up and doing everything. It was, you know, we were doing everything out of our houses. We did not have a, a home base to do anything. Ryan at the time was working with a, a local sandwich shop, we were able to like prep there like one day a week, but it was just very, uh, it was a very chaotic time, you know, and we were, were, you know, starting to think about like, all right, well, what does this look like in the future? Do we open it up? How much does that cost in order to do something of those lines? And, you know, both of us were, were, you know, very much vagabonds at this point in time, just kind of cooking around, doing private events, doing Fat Boy Sammy's, doing all these different things just to, to kind of get by. It was first started off as something that was very fun and became you know, something that was very tedious in the end. It was a very much a an in-the-moment thing. We needed something not just to do, but something that we wanted to do, but also something that, you know, we could hopefully potentially make a couple bucks on that we could help provide for, for my family and for Ryan's cats. So then from there, I think you wind up executive chef at Immigrant Sun Brewery in Lakewood for a minute before you open Cordelia. So I think end of July 22, Cordelia officially opens you and your business partner, Andrew Watts, but, and you guys first met and worked together at the Greenhouse Tavern, I think, like you mentioned, but how does that all come together? Does he reach out to you and is like, Hey, I got this idea. Are you kind of like, I'm working, I'm an executive chef here, but I'm tired of kind of working for other people. How does that kind of materialize? So during this whole time and coming out of the pandemic, and uh, the reason I had, I left Summerhouse, Ryan left Summerhouse about a couple months before I did. I left Summerhouse, uh, I believe it was in October, no, 2020. And with the anticipation of opening up Immigrant Sun Brewing, Ryan was going to come and join me and be my uh, my sous chef. We were going to open it up together. You know, we had built a very good rapport uh, when we opened up Summerhouse through our Fat Boy Sammy pop ups our Cleveland family meal ventures, everything that we were doing, you know, we kind of wanted to keep the band together and we were going to go open up Immigrant Sun. We met with the owners there. They, you know, had uh, what we thought were some good ideas, turned out wasn't exactly a good fit. You know, at that point in time, you know, leading into Summerhouse, after Summerhouse, coming through the pandemic, like, you know, I think all of us kind of got to a point that we weren't just going to do something to do something anymore. Like, and we weren't going to allow ourselves to be taken advantage of if you will. Like, so when I signed on to Immigrant Son, my 
said, I left Summer House in October. I, I wound up uh, getting a consulting job for a couple months at one of my friend's uh, places called um, Unhitched. It was a brewery slash restaurant that opened up right before the pandemic as well in Louisville, Ohio. I was driving uh, an hour down there to help them uh, reopen post-pandemic life and all with the intent of like, it was going to be a short gig leading up to opening up Immigrant Sun, which was, I was slated to start in, I think it was January 1st or maybe it was December 1st. So I get a, a two month lull in between my jobs and I, that's when I went to consulting. Uh, well, December 1st came and went, things kept getting pushed. Ultimately, I was going up to Immigrant Sun once a week to have meetings and get caught up on on everything and starting to get asked more and more things to do. None of this time was I being paid. You know, I kept doing more and more and I wasn't receiving anything from it. And I'm maybe a very too trustworthy of a person. And I was like, you know what? It, it's Ryan kept telling me the entire time, like, this is fishy. It doesn't make any sense. I'm like, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to believe it. I think I needed to at that point in time. I needed something to, to believe in, in my brain coming out of all the shit that we had, we'd come out of. And, you know, I, I believe in it. I think it's going to be great that we're going to do it. And then Labor Day, I think it was an article came out or something happened that they had let go of their head, their brewmaster. She was one of the reasons that I had went to, to go and work for Immigrant Son. She would have been like the first female head brewer in Ohio. She was a, a great home brewer. I, we'd met before in, in different brewing circles. And I was really excited for the beer that she could brew and the food that I could pair with her beer. Like it was a, a very like fun idea. And when she got let go, I called the owner. And I was like, hey, like, I think we need to have a sit down and figure out what's going on. He was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, I had to find out on Facebook that you let the brewer go. I had no idea what's happening right now. Ryan and I went to this meeting, like not really knowing what was happening. And ultimately, like we left that meeting without jobs. That's a very loose term because we had never been paid anyways, but we knew that our future wasn't going to be with Immigrant Son. And then here we are again. I'm making another phone call to my wife, letting her know that I'm unemployed again, even though I guess I wasn't really ever employed. But we had plans for employment and then trying to figure out you know, what the, the next step was. And luckily, I was able to, to catch on to a, a couple of other consulting gigs to get through the, the time. But you know how my current uh, situation all came about was because I was trying to figure out what was next. And I was searching Indeed and here comes a, an Indeed ad that says, you know, talking all these great things about a, a restaurant that they want to open up in Cleveland. No idea who it was or where it was or, you know, what it was, but saying all the right words. And I, I said, well, I'm going to apply for this and kind of see what's out there and keep going. And then it just turned out to happen to be what we now know is Cordelia. And my wife reminds me about this all the time. Like Andrew and I, you know, knew each other before we worked together uh, at Greenhouse. When I started, he was the GM. You know, we ran in similar circles afterwards. We didn't necessarily keep in touch, uh, but he reached out to grab coffee one day. And, you know, really the the rest is history. We had a, a bunch of meetings. At this point in time, it was definitely, you know, first and foremost in my mind, like about taking care of people and taking care of, of everything. And I wanted to make sure like the way that I had been treated prior to this opportunity, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't being treated that way again and that that we weren't going to treat anybody else in that regard that way kind of thing. My wife reminds me, you know, every so often that technically I applied for this job. You know, it was the way it came about was very serendipitous. And Andrew and I met for coffee. We walked down Fourth Street and then randomly walked into the back door of Lola. And he goes, this is what I'm thinking. And we, from there, was that was the first meeting of probably a month long set of meetings, just kind of feeling each other out. 
Andrew and his wife, Katie, got together with, with my wife, Sarah, and I. We went out multiple times just to kind of, we were looking for more than just a working relationship. We were looking for a true partnership. Both of us were, I told him, like, my next step's like, my next step is ownership. That's what I wanted. Here's where I am now. I'm trying to figure out what that means. And if, if that means, like, you know, I have to do something on my own, I'm ready for that opportunity. If that means I'm partnering with somebody to do something together, I'm ready for that opportunity. You know, I straight up told him, like, you know, two years ago, I would have said yes, uh, but I would, had a lot more apprehension, uh, a lot more reservations about my abilities. Uh, but like right now, like I can't think of a, a better person to do it other than myself because I've been through it. I've seen all the things now that how not to do so many things. Like I want to put all that to work and how to do it. And, and Ryan and I talked about it a lot too. Like we kept looking for this thing of like oasis of a perfect working environment where you had people who respected you and you know you respected others and people enjoyed coming into work and you had this beautiful culture and you know a, a great place that didn't have all these these hangups like i said when we worked at greenhouse like they made you feel like it was a privilege that you got the chance the opportunity to work there especially when i started like it was a line at the door of people who wanted my job it didn't matter how little it paid People were lining up to get abused just so they could put it on their resume. I didn't want that. I wanted wages knowing that we just came out of a fucking pandemic and out of not working for two weeks, everybody was broke because the hospitality industry lives week to week. I mean, I was a, a chef and barely was able to have any savings to get through things. You know, by the time everything was all said and done, like, you know, my wife and I are still getting ourselves out of debt. You know, we wanted to do something that was more than just a restaurant and something that meant more than just a restaurant does. And it was creating something that was timeless and creating something that was showcasing our hospitality and showcasing the fact that we wanted to take care of our people and wanted to do something that was different, do something that we had an experience. You know, I was able to get healthcare at one restaurant I've ever worked at in my life. And that was at Greenhouse. In my third year, they, we had a big team rally and we were able to get people healthcare. And, you know, it was, it was a big step in that direction. Like, when we opened up Cordelia, like Andrew and I sat down and talked about it numerous occasions. Like we had healthcare day one. We weren't going to wait to do all this. Like we wanted to be able to offer healthcare for our staff day one. Like we wanted to make sure that we were showing the people who chose to spend their time with us that how much we appreciated that and how much we didn't want them to think that we were taking advantage of them in any way, shape or form. Like we wanted them to, to, to see that, you know, we're, we're in this for such a long time and in it for them as well. And wanted to make sure that they were taking care of and we wanted to make sure that we were paying people, you know, the uh, appropriate amount. We want to make sure that, you know, people, when they came in to work, they didn't have anything to worry about, you know, outside of whether they had to pay their bills or they needed to have a, a root canal and we're going to need to pay three grand to have it done or whatever it was. Like, you know, we wanted to create the space that was very thoughtful and not just in a, a sense of food and beverage, but in culture and hospitality uh, just as much. So, I mean, we, and again, we realized like, there was nothing else around in Cleveland that was doing anything of this nature. There was nothing around that we were able to satiate all these different feelings that we had. So I guess in a sense had to create it. And I think we always kind of knew that in the back of our heads, but maybe weren't quite up to the challenge until coming out of the pandemic and seeing it and knowing it and understanding that if there was ever a time that we need to stop and think about like how we treat people and how we take care of people, this is the time. Where's the name come from? Cordelia is Andrew's great grandmother's name, which he atones to the, uh, a lot of his roots in hospitality, a lot of his roots of like, you know, who he is and, you know, what he was taught as far as uh, 
how to treat people and culture. When he shows you the space for the first time and you realize it's Lola's, Michael Simon's restaurant, which was pioneering restaurant for the city of Cleveland, does that make the opportunity more appealing that space has this history where it has this legacy or is it more of a challenge because you know you have to get past that reputation, predecessor restaurant reputation of, well, this used to be Lola's and now it's this. And are they going to be able to do what Lola's did? Like that all comes with taking over that space. All of it does for sure. And I think it was both, you know, like I said, at this point in time in my life, like I never felt more ready for anything in my life. You know, I knew that this is what I was going to do. And this is what I essentially had to do. I had to prove it to myself that I was ready to do this. And I think I would finally had proven to myself during the pandemic and, you know, leading up to this moment that I was truly ready to, to do it. But yeah, there's really nothing like walking into the back door of Lola for the first time and saying like, what the hell, you know, like they left the table set. You could have turnkeyed the restaurant and it could have been Lola. Uh, we knew that, you know, not only did we owe it to ourselves, but to the city of Cleveland to create something that was going to be timeless and to show our homage to what Michael created and to, you know, not just the restaurant itself, but the culinary culture in Cleveland in general, to take that space and give it no less than it deserved. Like, you know, we spent 14 months in the build out getting it to opening day. Like we could have gone about it a completely different way and splashed some paint on the wall and, you know, changed some tablecloths or done something like that and really opened up a, a restaurant probably within six, six months. You know, as we like to say, like we went around at the, the long and, you know, quite difficult and very expensive way. Every single thought was purposeful and, and meticulously attended to. And no matter, you know, it was very, some very stressful times thinking about it. And, you know, I, you know, I wasn't drawing a salary until we opened and, you know, it was a whole another 14 months of signing on to a project and being in the same predicament that I was at Immigrant Sun thinking like, well, fuck, if I never start this restaurant, I'm never going to get paid again. Two years of having zero income. But Andrew, like I said, like my wife, Sarah, and I met with him on numerous occasions, him and his wife, Katie, and we we knew that it was different. Andrew was different. Andrew had the same ideology and mentality and beliefs that we did when it came to hospitality and culture and people and what we wanted to do, that they were so intertwined that it, you know, it, it just made sense. Like it was, you know, I don't think it would have happened as perfect as it did any other way. Very thankful that Andrew and I, you know, reconnected when we did because I the restaurant definitely would not have been what it is without, you know, him, without myself. But, you know, I don't think we would have been able to do what we did without us coming together and having the same mentality towards hospitality and, and culture as we do. We put in the space to, to create what we did, you know, and I, I don't think it would have gone, it would have gone so many different ways. You guys call the cuisine modern grandma. What does that mean? You know, we wanted to create this quintessential Midwestern experience. And as we sat down and talked, like, what does that mean? You know, uh, where we really came to is that we were all came from different backgrounds. Andrew's family, his mother and father were both pastors. He came from a very different background. You know, my dad's side of the family is a big Italian family. My mom's side of the family was a big, like, Southern family. Like, our cultures were completely different, but our ideas and hospitality were always the same. And where that really all boiled down to was we learned a lot from our grandparents. We came up with this like terminology of like modern grandma. Basically what that meant was like, you know, familiar flavors reimagined. You know, we wanted you to 
to get back to that uh, the mentality of the, the greatest times of, of eating and enjoyment and stuff like that was around family and, and around you know very communal fun settings. That's what we do. Like it's, it's a very like uh, you know an extension of of us in a way. You know we come up with fun, interesting dishes that are all really inspired by something. What we do more than anything is we narrate stories. You know, we tell a story of something, why something was, how it came to be like this, you know, for more than just chefs, I guess we're narrators in this, you know, very bizarre cultural world. When you're creating the menu and building that out based with, you know, based on cooking in Cleveland for so long that you have, does it become more of a fill in the empty spaces? Like, you know, you have to have these core things. The Greenhouse Tavern had a burger on the menu. I think Lola's had a burger on the menu. So like, you kind of know we're going to have to have a burger on the menu, most likely. We're also probably going to have a, a cheese dish or something and, and a steak. So, you know, you have these four, five, six things that you know probably you're going to have to have on the menu. And it's, well, what can we do with the rest of the space? Or is it kind of fill in the blank? How does that kind of all come together? Because like a third of the menu is meat or chicken. Everything else is fish or vegetables. It doesn't really align with the Cleveland, I think that a lot of people would think of the Cleveland food scene where it's deep fried bar food burgers. Andrew and I were talking about it early on, you know, we, we definitely being in that space on that street. I mean, being in the Lola space in general, we had huge shoes to fill. We had to hit it out of the park. Yes, sir. We knew we, we couldn't settle for anything. We knew that we had to swing for the fences. We had to, I mean, it was Lola for God's sake. Like it was the best restaurant in Cleveland for so long. And Michael Simon's flagship restaurant, when we were taking the space over, like it was the shoes to fill were incredible, but we also knew that it, if anybody could do it, it was us and that we were up to the task and that we weren't going to settle on anything. We knew that we were going to do the best we could with every aspect. So when we were talking about the menu, we, you know, right down the street from the stadiums, it's a, an entertainment district. People come in from, I live in Akron. It's about 40 minutes south of Cleveland. People don't go up to Cleveland all the time from Akron. When they do, it's for an event. It's for a, a sporting event, a concert. You know, they were four streets right down the, the street from all the main uh, arenas it's a big deal for them. We have to be conscious and not just, you know, try to do anything and everything, only things that we want to do or we think we should be doing, but at the same time, like, you know, be true to who we are and not just do things to do things. You know, we had a, a conversation early on, you know, my partner and I both worked at Greenhouse Tavern. We both know how much chicken wings sold at the tavern. We both know how much people loved the chicken wings and they were amazing. They still are amazing. Some restaurants do copycat versions of them very well. We got to do wings, right? I'm like, I'm like, dude, we cannot do wings. Like we just can't do wings. Like we both worked at the tavern. Like it's, I feel like it's like almost like sacrilege. Same reason like we couldn't open up the menu and do a a pierogi because Lola was famous for the pierogies. Like certain things like we, you know, eventually realized like we're just untouchable. Not to say that we won't ever do a homage to the Lola pierogi or to the the wings that we loved eating at Greenhouse every day, but uh, we knew we couldn't do those on the menu, but we knew we had to have some things, you know, that were things that, you know, appealed to more, you know, to the father and son coming in, grabbing a, a burger and a beer before they go into the game to the people who want to come in and, and sit down and have a, an intimate meal to the business guys who were entertaining kind of thing. Like, you know, that is who we had to, you know, kind of fill in and, and be able to come up with something that was going to be a little bit of all of that. You know, we definitely went out a little bit on a limb, like with, with our styling of our menu, like Cleveland has been known to not be the most uh, approachable when it comes to more communal style dining. We are very much a appetizer entree style eat. 
you know, meat and potatoes kind of thing. But when we were putting together this menu, we, you know, wanted to step outside of that comfort zone a little bit, do things a little bit differently. Well, I could say that we went crazy and we're doing everything, you know, super unique and, you know, different than everybody else. And, you know, we wanted to make it different enough so that we were able to set the tone that we were, this who we were going to be and not down the line, we changed things that, what are they doing? They're doing things differently. We, we change the menu every week. You know, we add different things to the menu, take away different things to the menu every single week. We knew early on that we had to establish that because we didn't want anybody to get so familiar with exactly what we were doing that when they came in and things were different, they're like, well, what the hell is going on kind of thing? Like, so, you know, we, we set out early on knowing like, all right, these are some things that, you know, we wanted to stick to our guns and do, but at the same time, we know we, we can't do everything that we want to do. But if we start here, we can build into those things. The more we grow, figure out who we are, what we do, and what we do well, and then, you know, start focusing on that and then focusing on the growth of that. And that's kind of where we were now. You know, we knew we wanted to put a burger on the menu, but, you know, that being said, we decided to put this fun, shareable burger on the menu where we make all the buns in house. It's like a, like a Japanese milk bun style slash Pullman roll where everything's in this little, like little four pack and we serve it with picks and a knife and you know, it's meant to be a shareable burger. Like I wanted something along those lines instead of, you know, you're coming in and just get a burger and fries or we don't do fries. We do Jojo's instead, you know, certain things like that. So let's try to change that mentality a little bit. Let's like come in and share a burger and get some other things then and do stuff like that. You really want a burger? Like we got you. We got a, a mighty fine burger on the menu. You can share it and eat some other things along with it. A lot of people definitely still eat that burger just as it is, which is perfectly fine. But at the same time, we get a lot of people who share that burger who, you know, we put it on our belly up tasting menu and as a course and, you know, sharing between two people or on a big table where, you know, you get four people who put one burger on, like everybody's getting, you know, what's essentially a slider. They get a taste of it and they get to share different things and try a different experience and kind of have fun with it. And that's kind of who we are and what we like to do. Like we, we try to not take ourselves too seriously in that light. We try to have fun. We truly enjoy what we do and we truly enjoy like who we do it with. And I think, you know, when you're in the restaurant that, you know, really, really comes to light, you know, we've been very fortunate when we opened up this restaurant to be surrounded with an incredible, incredible group of humans. Like it's Andrew and I pinch ourselves every single day that, that could have imagined opening up a restaurant happening in the way that it has. We talked about how Greenhouse opened, you know, I wasn't a part of it. Andrew wasn't a part of it, but our, our manager, Jeffrey, he was a part of the opening team of Greenhouse uh, as a bartender. And he was like, it was like lightning in a bottle. Like, and that was very much, you know, what it felt like when we were opening up Cordelia and just going through the opening of, of just training the staff. And Andrew and I talked about it so long. And then eventually, you know, we brought on our, our management team and we had so many meetings about like, you know, this is the culture that we wanted to establish and that we wanted it to be warm and welcoming and uh, inclusive. And we wanted to showcase you know, the fact that we wanted to make sure that we were taking care of our guests and our employees equally and being very, very appreciative of other people that worked with us. I just remember very vividly the second night of friends and family. And I look over at Jeffrey and I'm like, I'm like, Jeffrey, this is like day two. And it feels like day 200. Like, I don't know how this happened. You know, I don't know. You know, I, like I said, I still pinch myself to this day thinking about some of these things. Like, I'm just amazed by what we've been able to uh, accomplish. And I, that's not a tooting of my own horn because it has so little to do with me as, as so much to do with these 
people that come into our establishment day in and day out. Like, you know, without them, like we would just be two people talking about the things that we wanted to do. And they're the ones who make it happen every single day. And just, I'm so just amazed by by all of it. Like I amazed by all the things that we've been able to accomplish so far and knowing that only been open for seven months, like the tip of the iceberg, like how many more things that we can continue to do. Within that seven months, I mean, December, you guys were named one of the 18 best new restaurants in the country by Tasting Table. You know, when you get an award like that, how does that make you feel? Because the Cleveland, for those that don't know, the Cleveland food scene or, or Cleveland just in general, it's not shown in a great light across the national media. Usually, uh, it's kind of the butt of a lot of jokes. Oh, you know, they lit the river on fire, blah, 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 blah. The people that live in Cleveland, the people that are from Cleveland, that are still in Cleveland, there is a very Cleveland versus everybody, Detroit versus everybody, kind of fuck you, you're not from here vibe to it. So you have this core group of supporters, right? As long as you do something cool and delicious, they're going to love it. They're going to support you. When you get the national recognition, you know, how does that make you guys feel knowing that a lot of people don't travel to Cleveland for a vacation? You know, like it's not a destination place that people are going to go outside of if their team's playing in a sporting event or they have family there or anything like that. So trying to balance those two things now, like how do you approach that where it's, you have this core support that you can always rely on, but you also want to do stuff that kind of shines a light on the scene as a whole. Yeah. And and you're not wrong. You know, we definitely could have aimed a lot lower and still hit on an above bar. You know, Cleveland is a very tenacious city. Uh, We're, we're very gritty people. We work hard to an extent, like hard work pays off. I guess what basically what I, you know, it kind of really boils down to like, you know, in, in Cleveland, like nothing is given as LeBron said, everything is earned. You really have to get out there and put yourself out there in order for it to, to be worth it and for it to be real. And that's where we kind of hung our hat. Like we didn't just want to open up a restaurant to open up a restaurant. We didn't just want to open up a restaurant to be a moderately okay place and to, we wanted to get rich. We should have gotten in a different industry a long time ago. You know, restaurants are not where we make any, you know, money. Restaurants are where our hearts are. We love hospitality. We love cooking and culture and cuisine and, you know, sh- uh, sharing it with others. So when we set out to open up this restaurant, like, you know, it's the reason why we chose Lola, you know, it wasn't because we wanted to open up a small little thing in the corner somewhere. And, you know, we wanted the, to be front and center. We knew that we had to live up to expectations. We knew that we had this, you know, huge burden on our shoulders that we had to live up to what was there before us. And that's what drove us. That's what we wanted. We wanted those those high expectations. We wanted to set that bar really high and to hopefully, you know, pick up that that torch that Simon and Sawyer left off and to kind of run with it. Like I don't want to be known as another restaurant in Cleveland. When that tasting table article came out, like it's kind of funny, uh, you know, for as much as, you know, we have a a Google system that alerts us for when we're named on things or things happen like somehow that one fell through the cracks and it was a a guest eating a tasting menu said that they were there because they read about us on tasting table being one of the 22 best new restaurants in the country and we're like huh like oh yeah you know i came out a couple days ago and we were reading about this cleveland restaurant on this list and that's why we're here she sent me the link and it just happened to be somebody who i'd worked with in the past send me the link and we're at 7.30 in the middle of like a Friday night service. And all of a sudden we're reading this article and it was like kind of incredible. Like I, you know, it took me a minute to like 
sink in because we're, you know, getting slammed and trying to figure out, you know, everything that we're doing. And Ryan and I were working side by side. And we just kind of keep looking over each other and go, what the fuck is going on right now? And, you know, eventually we read the article and we're seeing all these other restaurants on the list and all these other chefs that we've looked up to over the years and everything else. And it was like still like incredibly surreal to, to have made it in that company and, you know, very humbling and in so many ways. And, you know, at the same time, like validating for everything that we have done and have gone through, I mean, through the pandemic and the ups and downs and not knowing what tomorrow actually, you know, entailed and to opening up this restaurant that now was on a national stage and getting validated by our peers and the things that we set out to do, like knowing that they were, we were actually doing them. We always thought we were going to do them, but you don't really know until you do it. And I mean, it was incredible. We went on Christmas break, you know, a couple of days later, and it was like an early Christmas present to be like, holy shit. It was incredibly validating and just knowing that other people were seeing the things that we were doing and it wasn't just like us doing it. And like you said, like Cleveland does not get a ton of recognition. We have to work harder, longer. We have to do more in order for any recognition to come to our city. Like it's, that's fine. We know that. We understand that. We understand that that's our burden to bear and we're going to do that. We are gritty. We're tenacious. We don't give up easily. And in, in some of our cases, like we don't ever give up. We keep driving and pushing to do more and to be better every single day. And that's what makes us who we are. And I think that's what makes Cordelia what it is, knowing that we we set out to do this, put together this beautiful restaurant. And it wasn't just about the food and the, the beverage, but about the culture and hospitality that we wanted to exude. And that's what makes the restaurant different than other restaurants. That's what makes the restaurant stand out other than just having good food and great drinks. I've touched on it a couple of times now, how fortunate we are with our, our staff. Like we've been open for seven months. We have the exact same opening staff as we did seven. Well, I'll take that back. We lost one line cook, two line cooks now. We lost two line cooks. One of them was a temporary cook helping us open the restaurant. He went on to be the chef of another restaurant once they were ready to go. And then one line cook left us a couple of weeks ago. He took a job as a sous chef position. Like both of them, like, you know, we were thankful that they spent their time with us and wished them well because they were going on to do bigger and better things. But other than that, like our front of the house is the exact same people as we started seven months and a week ago. I don't know how many other places can say that. So that's knowing that those types of things are, are, you know, makes me giddy and what gives me goosebumps thinking about those things. Thinking about like, you know, we set out to make this restaurant great and, you know, take care of people and we're on that right train. You know, we're able to get healthcare to everybody. We're, you know, uh, starting March 1st, we have a 401k starting up that we're, we're matching. Like all of the inalienable that we were never afforded in this industry, like we want to make sure that we're giving people those opportunities. Do you think like for Cleveland, the days of a single restaurant representing the city, are those over, you know, a la Lola was the place, then it was the greenhouse tavern, or do you think it'll still continue to be that way for a little while longer before there can be multiple destination restaurants, you know, or, or things that draw people in, you know, from the, the food side of things? You know, I'm hopeful that it's not just one restaurant. I really am, you know, I, or one, any one restaurant in general, we have so many great chefs in our city and so many people who are doing wonderful things like you know the city does not get the recognition it deserves and again like you know we we are okay with that we're going to continue to fight and to be the best we can you know as a whole every day there's so many wonderful restaurants and chefs and people doing things some of them you hear about and some of you don't you know we i think we got two james beard award uh nominations in cleveland this year 
One of them, Jeremy Umansky from Larder and his wife, Allie, uh, who run a wonderful uh, deli in Ohio City. And another one, uh, Brandon, who runs this restaurant that is, uh, how do I describe it? Um, they help rehabilitate previously incarcerated individuals and give them, you know, a sense and to doing things. The pandemic definitely put closed down a lot of things, you know, and I think in, I can't speak for other cities, but in Cleveland, we lost a lot. We really did. We lost a lot of, of really great restaurants, a lot of old staple restaurants, a lot of family-run restaurants because of the pandemic, like just never came back. You know, Greenhouse closed, not because of the pandemic, but it probably would have closed in the pandemic. You know, Lola obviously closed uh, during the pandemic. So many other ones did. And now like it's a trying to figure out what that next landscape looks like. If it wasn't for the pandemic, we would never have had this opportunity to be in this space now and do what we do now. So for all the bad things that happen, some good comes to light. You know, I also think in that same breath, like there's so many other restaurants opening that aren't doing the things that we we want to do. There's a big um, void of things in Cleveland, you know, or was, I guess, a void of things in Cleveland. So many new things have opened. I think they, I read an article uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was like 56 new restaurants in the last like year and a half of opening Cleveland. It's a lot of stuff. We always knew that there was this bubble in Cleveland of things opening and good things opening that eventually had to pop. And the pandemic just really uh, accelerated that pop. Now there's this new wave of lots of things opening. I don't know if it's more of a, because there's not as many things to do and there's more opportunities for things to open. All I know is that we're trying to set out to, to do great things. We don't want to just be an, another restaurant, the sea of restaurants. We want to separate ourselves for a number of different reasons to, to stand out, to, to be the, a beacon of hospitality and culture and to help, you know, maybe give us some more national attention on, uh, on the city. You know, we're fortunate we have a, a good culinary community. There's a bunch of great restaurants out there and we all really do, you know, stand shoulder and shoulder and help support each other and we do fun events with each other. The city itself doesn't get the credit it deserves. We're well aware of that. And I think that's why we, we do so well in supporting everybody around us. Game days, you know, Browns, Guardians, Cavs games, do those help the restaurant? Or is it still for a long period of time even before the pandemic? I know it was, there would just be an exodus. Like the game would happen. You'd have some people linger around downtown for 30 minutes, an hour. But like if you had a Guardian game at like one o'clock, like on a Saturday by four thirty-five, like it was kind of a ghost town around the stadium and, and they built stuff up around the stadium. So do you guys see an influx of people coming in like, you know, before or after a game or is it still kind of like some bump, but like it, it doesn't really affect you guys too much. We definitely get an influx before games. And, you know, we opened up the end of summer last year. We, we didn't feel the full effect from guardians. So, uh, you know, I can't quite talk on that. We definitely, you know, we're in a, a full swing once playoffs hit. And, you know, the couple of Guardians games we had during playoff season were, or playoff time was insane. You know, tons of people, you know, flooding into the city. Uh, you know, we're we're fortunate right now that the Cavs are doing really well. You know, with the uh, so with the acquisition of Donovan Mitchell, like the Cavs were good last year. And then that this year, like really was like, oh shit, it happened right before we opened. So we're like, we knew that, you know, that was going to help drive ticket sales, help drive people downtown. It's, it's great for us. Anytime that we can get, Anybody coming downtown is great because right now, like, you know, again, we're still in post-pandemic life. Like, people work from home. There's not as many people downtown. I think the the statistic is, like, only 70% of housing is is full downtown still. So it's a lot of that, you know, it goes to uh, hurts us being downtown. There's one of the reasons we don't open for lunch. 
Like there's not a lot of that, that business that there used to be downtown where people go out for lunches. So, you know, we stick to our dinners right now. We're hopeful that some of that stuff comes back, but right now it's not. I mean, I know my wife still works from home, you know, and that's just the kind of things have, you know, gone and, you know, we're wading those waters as we go through it. You know, one of the things has definitely, you know, come back through now that uh, Donovan Mitchell's in town and we have this great young uh, team is that they're fun to watch and people come down and they, they come out to eat before the restaurants. So we always get a huge push before the games. Uh, and it's kind of interesting to see, like, well, you know, game starts at seven o'clock, no reservations until five o'clock. We open up at four. Maybe we'll get some, a couple people walking in five o'clock crushed until 645. The entire place clears out. And then it's like a reset for like 30 minutes and then 730 reservations come in. And these people, we sold 50 burgers before the game. 7.30 comes in, now all of a sudden we're selling tasty menus and we're selling steaks and we're selling completely, you know, an entirely different experience. You know, it's a, a very two-sided coin of, of having the Cavs games. And we knew being on that street in that space with our experience at uh, at the tavern that we were going to have some of that. We wanted to be able to to welcome those people coming in, going to the Cavs games and, you know, had, giving them a, a place to come in prior to the game and then, you know, being able to do what we normally do as, as far as, you know, traditional dining goes after the game would start. You mentioned a couple of times you didn't go to culinary school. Is that something that you ever wish you did? And for anybody working in your kitchen now, you know, who wants to become a chef of their own one day, if they asked you, do you think I should go to culinary school? What would you tell them? At times, it was something that I definitely thought I wished I did. Uh, there were times early on when I realized, like, this is what I really wanted to do that I was talking with my wife about like, hey, like, you know, I'm thinking about going to culinary school now, you know, very early on. Ultimately, like in my experience, like you learn from doing things. You learn from hands-on activities. You learn from being in the moment, you know, right or wrong from the experience. And then in my experience, coming out of culinary school, you have some some knowledge of things, but you, no matter what, like you get pushed back into the same place that I started in as far as like what a, a fry cook, you still have to earn the trust of your peers in that kitchen in order to be able to, you know, be taken seriously to have more responsibilities and to continue to grow within this field. I would never tell anybody not to go to culinary school. You know, it works different for every single person. Everybody, you know, works a little differently as far as what their needs are. I didn't go to culinary school and I don't regret not going to culinary school. I know that most, actually I think every single person on my staff, I don't think a single one of them went to culinary school. You know, like I said, I don't know if that's right or wrong. I would never deter anybody from doing something that they felt was the best for them, you know, because that's their situation. But, you know, I learned from surrounding myself with good people who were willing to teach me, you know, and all I can do is return that favor and be that person next for anybody who wants to come and work with, with us is be the best mentor that I can be and to show them as much as I can teach them. And then hopefully they'll continue to learn and to grow. And, you know, they're always pushing me to be a better mentor and to be, you know, more present for them. So they're not getting stagnant and they're continuing their growth. And it's this like circle of life of me working to be better for them and they're working to be better for themselves. And uh, we're constantly growing together. 2017, you competed on Chopped. How was that experience? It was a very interesting experience, to say the least. So 2017, I was in a very weird place as far as employment-wise. I was still working for Sawyer. I was the corporate chef. I wasn't cooking that much. 
I was doing all this other stuff that I had to do to run all the restaurants, but I wasn't in the kitchens cooking. Um, so then I got approached by Chops. I couldn't turn it down. It was a you know great opportunity. And then come to find out that it was like this crazy tournament series with Alton Brown. It was like pretty cool. So I tried to hone in my skills a little bit, head on out there, and it was it was a grueling experience. I mean, you, you wake up at like four o'clock in the morning, you go meet at a coffee shop, and then like you're in the studio by like six. I mean. I got chopped. I didn't make it to the dessert round. I still didn't get out of there until six o'clock in, in the evening. Like it was an all day. Like I cooked for maybe four minutes that entire time. Other than that, like you're sitting in the back, like sweating profusely because all these lights are on you. It was, it was a very interesting experience. Uh, it's definitely one that I would 100% do again, knowing like more about it. And again, I, for the longest time had a very much of a, a, a lack of confidence and a, you know, I didn't necessarily deserve to be in this spot mentality. And I've gained much more confidence over the years in my abilities and, you know, in myself personally that, you know, now, like, you know, like I said before, would never quite have been ready to open up the restaurant that we did now ready to take on those new challenges, knowing that I, I believe in myself so much more. And even then, like when I got chopped, everybody asked me about it. Like, so what happened? I was like, my fucking plate sat in the goddamn hot window for too long. Like, what do you want me to say? Like it was a pasta dish. The way they rotate through the things. They like said my dish was dry. I'm like, and they didn't show this part. I'm like, well, yeah, it was in the fucking hot window for 30 minutes. Like it's pasta. What do you want me to do? In that that moment, I was like, fuck, I got this. I nailed this. I knew all these ingredients perfectly and what I wanted to do with them. And then like little subtleties they caught me on. And then my 40 minute old pasta was dry. I'm like, so it goes. But I, I was like ready for the next round at that point in time. Like it, it just took me like a round and a half to regain that confidence in myself again. And you know, I was really excited to to make it to the next round to see what I could have done. But Alas, it wasn't in the cards, but it was much of a learning opportunity. And, you know, from that moment, I, I definitely, you know, tried to work on getting out of my own way and out of my own head, but it was fun. I mean, you know, it also coincided with Valentine's day. We filmed on on the 15th and my wife and I were able to fly to New York for uh, the day prior and walk around the city and go and eat at uh, Contra for Valentine's day that year. It was, you know, it it was quite a nice time. So for many reasons, it'll, it'll always uh, stick into my head as a as a fond memory. And in 2021, you were the main chef, the head chef for the Outstanding in the Field Dinner, which is something you've participated in for a number of years before that when Jonathan Sawyer was doing it. So that's held at Thaxton's Organic Garlic Farm, which you guys have some of their products on your menu incorporated into some of your dishes. When you did that yourself, though, you kind of did it a little bit different I mean, I think it's, you know, 180 people, you're doing like four courses, wine pairings, but you invited a bunch of other chefs to kind of participate with you. But did you feel any pressure or anything knowing that, you know, this was the first time you were kind of the the main person, even though you had all these people around you? And, and is it something that you'll do again in the future? Or uh, is the restaurant got you a little too busy to take that project on? Prior to 2021, uh, I think I'd done it five or six different times with Sawyer, always as like the sous chef. Uh, a couple times he wasn't even there, but you know, always as as part of Sawyer. Twenty twenty happened. Uh, Sawyer, the greenhouse had just closed. They had offered it up to Karen Small, another uh, local like James Beard nominated chef. And then the pandemic hits. They scratched it that year. Twenty twenty one came through. They offered it back to Karen. Karen said she couldn't do it at the moment because she was in the midst of opening up another restaurant. So they like like kind of fell back on me. Like oh, that I had have a really good relationship and built a really good relationship over the years with the Thaxons whose farm I was at, they had suggested, you know, Karen can't do it. How about you ask Vinny? He knows how to, all the inner workings and whatnot. You know, I've uh, been out the farm many a times 
And, you know, I was elated to get the call. Like it was, again, a very surreal moment. It was an event that I've always, you know, been the bridesmaid of and never the bride and was able to really to do it. At that same time, I was unemployed and I did not have a kitchen that I was working out of. I enlisted, you know, a bunch of my friends who jumped at the opportunity to come and do it because it's such a, a great close-knit culinary community that we have in Cleveland. You know, I reached out to everybody. I'm like, you know, hey, like, you want to come do outstanding in the field with me? Like, you know, I don't want it just to be about me. Like, it was always just about Sawyer. And so many other people were involved in it. So many other people, like, put hours and hours and hours of work into getting it to where it needed to be. And Sawyer would just kind of show up and, you know, do the pomp and circumstance, uh, which at the time, like, was that was our role. You know, that's we played that part, and that's what we did. You know, I didn't want it to be that. I wanted to celebrate the people who made it happen. So I, I invited, you know, my friends and other restaurants to come and participate and, you know, try to deflect a little bit of it about one person doing it because, you know, the way one person can't run a restaurant, one person can't cook multiple courses for 180 people. And we had a fucking fabulous time. My God, it was the best outstanding in the field that we had ever taken part in. And most of the people who came and helped me out had all done one in the past with Sawyer and they were fucking shit shows. And I will be the, not the last person to tell you that every single one of them went wrong for something. We all got through it, you know, but one dinner, I remember back in the day, like we didn't serve entrees until 9.30 and desserts at 10 o'clock. I'm like, the schedule was like entrees out at like 7.30. We tried to get everything done before dusk. And for so many different reasons, so many different things went wrong. So I knew that this was my first one that I wanted to be able to take over this event. And again, like, like I said before, like carry on that torch that I needed to do it the best that I could. And, and we did it. We, we had this incredible dinner where everything went flawlessly. And, you know, the food was amazing. The people were amazing. The experience was incredible. We were, you know, cheersing champagne going into the entree course. And we fed everybody in, in perfect timing. And we all were looking around. was like, you know, it went off without a hitch. You know, even one person there, like, oh, something's going to go wrong. Nothing went wrong the entire time. Like, it was just perfect. And, and the fact that I got to share that experience with so many friends and so many colleagues who had gone through such horrible experiences in, in that field in that moment before was just incredible. And, you know, I think it's always going to be going forward, even with a restaurant now, it's going to be a very communal event. It's not just going to be like, we'll be, it'll always be like Cordelia and friends. It'll always be, you know, not just about us and who we are, but sharing it with others because it was just how it's supposed to be. I don't, I don't need to have it be about me or myself or anything like it's Those aren't the things that matter. You know, the experience that matters and sharing that experience and being in that moment and cooking shoulder and shoulder with so many friends and having fun doing it. And it gets a little bit stressful sometimes, but you know, it's just so much fun and so rewarding to be out there on that field and to the amount of relationships that we've created from these dinners you know, and seeing them now come into the restaurants and becoming friends. And, you know, the Faxons and I talk probably on a biweekly basis, not just about garlic, you know, about uh, the family and how they're doing and, you know, how we're doing. And, you know, we're already ready to go and start harvesting the green garlic that's going to be coming up out of the uh, the ground probably in early May. And then already have it on the calendar for the, the restaurant. The team's going to go out and harvest uh, garlic with them in July when it comes up. Like it's they are more than just farmers uh, to us, like they're family. You know, my kids go out and run around their fields and, you know, we drink beers together and enjoy each other. It's so much more. And we did it last year as Cordelia and friends where we brought in a couple different friends to help us do it. I mean, we did it at the end of August. We've been open the restaurant for a month. 
So we're still trying to figure out what the hell we were doing at the restaurant. We were able to pull it off. It was another incredible experience. We were already signed on for this year. We're already like reaching out to friends and figuring out like, all right, like let's keep this going. Like this is fun. Like we enjoy this. Like we love sharing it. You know, it also takes some of the stress off of just one person or one group to do it as well. Like it's, you know, you cook 180 people and it's four courses plus four past appetizers. Like it's a lot of damn food. So, you know, and I can delegate it out to, you know, more than competent uh, individuals and not have to worry about like what's going to come out about uh, from it. Like that's also a relief off of my shoulders to not have to, to think it too much about it in that regard. And again, like it just gives me an excuse to cook with my friends again. Like that's a very good excuse that I'll, I'll take all day, every day. But yeah, I think this year we're, we're planning on burying something into the earth, like Argentinian style and like unearthing it as, as guests arrive, really having fun with it. Are you aware of another chef, same name, Vinny Semino, out in Colorado, Nevada, that has a pizzeria and also a fried chicken restaurant that he has partnered with Flavor Flav? You know, I was not aware until not that long ago, my wife pointed it out to me. I was like, huh, you know, it's not bad company, I guess, you know, I'll take it. So I think he spells his name with a Y, but other than that, it's not bad company. So we got a handful more questions for you uh, here. We asked everybody who comes on the podcast. First, uh, this question comes from the previous guest on the podcast. It's uh, Chef John Hallman, who runs uh, Emmett's Cafe down here in Columbus. He left behind for you. If you could have a second act that wasn't being a chef, what would it be and why? I think it would probably be a teacher of some sorts. I think I really come into my own as far as being a good leader and mentor. I don't know if I could have said that I would have always have been that for the most part. You know, I probably would have classified myself as a as a shithead in some way, shape, or form, you know, getting married, having children, becoming a leader in, you know, in our in our industry. Like I think that's my second act. I think I was always meant to to be in this situation and to, you know, help help others and to continue to uh, push positivity and to help people become better, which in turns helped me become better. So I think that's really, really, it's all we are as chefs. You know, we, we narrate these stories of dishes and we, you know, help to encourage and teach others to, to continue to, to carry on the traditions that we instill. What's a question you want to leave behind for the next guest? Can be anything. You know, the one that I kind of find myself in a lot, like what drives you, what gives you the passion to do what you do? You know, very few of us, we're not all cut from the same cloth. So what drives you, what gives you the passion? to set yourself apart and make you different to, to put you in the position that you're in. You know, there's all these memes that go on these days of like uh, the chef starter pack or the begrudging line cook where it's looks the exact same thing, you know, but we're talking for different reasons. You're going to talk to the next chef for different reasons. Like they're not the, your average guy who goes in with chili pepper pants and, you know, a fedora and just does the day-to-day stuff. Like these are people who are putting themselves out there on a number of different levels to to do things. This next question comes from one of our listeners. They wrote in, how does Cleveland become the food destination city for the state of Ohio? You know, with support, we have a, a young mayor who's doing a bunch of incredible changes to the city. You know, infrastructure is one thing that we've been working on as a city, like-minded people who want to create things and not just create things to create things, you know, who really want to put their heart and soul into what they do to make the best thing they possibly can. And I think I've touched on this a little bit before, like we're, you know, post-pandemic life has been, you know, very interesting as far as like so many places went out of business, so many opportunities arose, more people taking advantage of these opportunities and doing 
good things with good people. And I think that's where we step into our own in this next generation culinary aptitude in Cleveland. Like for the longest time, like, you know, we, Michael Simon and Jonathan Sawyer, and they were two doors down from each other on one street. Like it was uh, the, these juggernauts of, of culinary uh, in our city. You know, we don't have that anymore. So we reset and we, you know, entrust in this next generation that to, to guide us into this next era of hospitality. And it's, you know, it's not just about food and, and beverage, but it's about creating this, this next level culture that of hospitality and showcasing who we are and what we do. And all that other stuff comes organically. We're going to continue to support ourselves. The amount of, you know, really great restaurants that have opened up over the last couple of years in Cleveland, I've been amazed with, you know, some incredible people doing just like wonderful things and really like, you know, putting their heart and soul into what they do. And that's what makes those restaurants so great. So this last set of questions we asked everybody who comes on the podcast, a nice compare and contrast, a little kind of rapid fire style here. But who was the biggest influence on your cooking career thus far when you look back on? Brian Goodman. He was the uh, CDC of Greenhouse when I started. What's one kitchen item that's not a knife that you can't live without? I would say uh, it's a tie between uh, my Sharpie and my pocket knife. Well, I guess my pocket knife isn't still a knife, but a non-cooking knife. Restaurant you'd recommend that isn't your own? It's a scenario I give. Person gets stuck at the airport, flight's canceled, they're stuck for one night. You guys aren't open. They reach out to you. Hey, where should we go eat? You point them in this direction. That's a great question. Um, I would say, depending on what time of day, because there's a couple places that aren't open during you know daytime hours, PM hours, daytime, I would say Larder Delicatessen, run by uh, a great friend, Jeremy Umansky, one of the best daytime spots in the city, if not one of the best spots in the city in general. Nighttime, I would say a good friend of mine, Vince, opened a pizzeria named Sense Pizza. Incredible, like Brooklyn-style pizza and other things. It's a, a wonderful environment, great natural wine selection. Nighttime, it's a perfect spot to go. Bucket list travel destination and bucket list restaurant. So a place you've never been to that you still want to go to, and then a restaurant you haven't eaten at, but you still want to dine at one day. I want to go to Israel. The cuisine, the, the culture, uh, the flavors... You know, us as Americans sometimes uh, get caught up that we think like salt is a spice, you know, uh, in that regard, like, you know, the Middle East, like there's so many, so much more out there than just where we get wrapped up in. So I would like the the, the travel uh, out there and, you know, just experience uh, so much more. As far as bucket list restaurants, there's so many of them. I'm trying to think of one that I had that I would definitely need to go to. How about one that I can't go to? anymore because it closed and I'm really disappointed. Always wanted to go to Blackbird in Chicago. It was a Paul Kahn restaurant and we had plans to go and then the pandemic hit and we had to push back our, our trip to Chicago. And then during that time it closed. So, but yeah, Paul Kahn was always an influence. Craziest thing you've seen happen in a restaurant while you're working. I opened up a restaurant once on opening weekend, the entire Ansel system blew because of a faulty link in the chain. So as the entire dining room sat for the first service of the restaurant on a Friday night, we lost everything and had to start all over again. Lost about four days of restaurant life. A lot of work leading up to the episode blowing. Food or drink guilty pleasures or anything, fast food, candy, whatever that you know is not healthy for you, but you just can't help yourself? Pizza. I would never be able to give up pizza. I love pizza in pretty much all capacities. Drink, not so much. Definitely guilty of eating a lot of more of like fast foody type of stuff, whether it's a, a cheeseburger, eating a, like a nice greasy sliced pizza. What is the one cookbook, professional chef, home chef, you think everybody should own? Um, 
Let's see. I would say recent years, the the Noma Guide to Fermentation uh, was definitely revolutionary. And then uh, one that I really got me, I guess, interested in in more things was uh, The Art of Fermentation by Sandor Katz. Uh, Just thinking about food in in different ways and different lights was kind of an eye-opening experience for me. Favorite dish thing you ever cooked, created, kind of looking back on your career, you can point to this as almost like your aha moment. You knew you could be a professional chef. You know, a random thing when we were at Greenhouse uh, kind of mentioned on all the, the chicken wings that we would make. Less of a, I could be a professional chef, but more of a, I kind of know what I'm doing kind of thing. So when we, we cooked all these wings, we could feed them in a whole bunch of, you know, lard and duck fat. And after they would confit, they'd sit and cool forever. And then we'd pull them out as we strained off the, the fat to reserve for the next cook. There would always be scraps at the bottom. And then for the longest time, like I would just see people throwing them away or doing something. So like, I guess one of my aha moments was like, you know, we're throwing away a perfectly good product that we paid the exact same amount of money for before. Let's figure out another utilization. And from there, like we ended up making like, a, you know, riettes and using them uh, in terrines. And we cooked so many wings, we, you know, probably lost 13 to 16 wings every night that we cooked them. So those, that little bit added up to finding different creative ways to do things. And I, I, I definitely take that every day in the kitchen, like now, like into a, a quasi hoarder stance, of like, don't throw that away. It'll come in handy somewhere else. You know, we, we find fun, interesting ways to utilize things that we might not have always done. And some of the best dishes come of those, you know, whether you're saving up your chicken scraps and pureeing them down. And we made dino nuggets last weekend for a pop-up that we did uh, with a local bar that, that took us over. So like 90 <laughs> cocktails and we did dino nuggets. So little things like that, like, I'm an Anthony Bourdain fan. Not everybody is or was. So if you were, is there a moment episode scene about him that uh, stands out to you that you always remember? If you weren't, is there anybody else who was on TV, Emeril, Julia Child, Guy Fieri, whoever, that you always kind of gravitated towards when you were coming up through your career? I watched a lot of Julia Child. Uh, I really did. I loved the the interactions that she had, the, the guests that she had on her show. Uh, I didn't watch a lot of Emeril. I watched a moderate amount of Bourdain. Mostly, I've read the books over and over and over again, like, and then have listened to his books over and over and over again, like something about hearing his words and his own voice and the struggles that he had as a, you know, as a chef and in the industry, definitely like sit very heavy on me knowing that, you know, we all came through in a way. Where can people find you? Social media, websites, plug everything. You can find me uh, on social media at Chef Vinny Semino on Instagram. Uh, Our website to the restaurant is uh, CordeliaClee.com on Instagram at CordeliaClee. Yeah, our nonprofit is Cleveland Family Meal. And every so often we still have our sandwich concept uh, going on. That's Fat Boy Sammy's. And that's uh, Sammy's with an I E S. Cordelia is open. Uh, you guys are open, is it Tuesday through Saturday or Tuesday through Sunday? Because you guys do brunch too, right? Yeah, we do uh, dinner Wednesday through Saturday and brunch on Sundays currently. Thank you again, obviously, for taking some time and, and coming on the podcast. Super excited to see where the restaurant goes from here, you know, you get six, seven months in, you know, and, and definitely seems to starting finding your footing and, and more to come. I think you guys have a bunch of ideas that you want to execute now that things have gotten rolling and got some national recognition too, as well. I think which will help and always kind of keeping one eye out on we're here in Columbus, but what goes on in Cleveland, what goes on in Cincinnati, because they're just short drives, you know, still have family up in Cleveland too. So we'll be definitely, you know, seeing you soon. I'm stopping in and, there's always, you know, some hidden gems I think that people don't know about 
you know, in the Cleveland area, but I, I think word is going to get out for you guys pretty soon, you know, in the, in the next few months. So excited to see where everything goes and yeah, we'll be stopping in. But uh, yeah, if you ever need anything from us, let us know. Always want to support everybody who comes on the podcast as much as we can. Happy to help. Well, again, appreciate your time and I'll let you get back to your night. Thanks for having me. You have a good night. A big thanks again to Vinny for coming on the podcast, taking some time out of his evening to jump on and chat about his career in Cleveland and opening Cordelia, how it's going, how it's been, where they kind of feel like they're headed. So again, you can follow him on Instagram at Chef Vinny Cimino. It's all one word, Chef, and then Vinny, V-I-N-N-I-E-C-I-M-I-N-O. You can also follow the restaurant at Cordelia, C-L-E, and also at Fatboy underscore Sammy's, which is a sandwich pop-up that they started kind of in COVID, and they'll tinker around with here and there too as well. I mean, they did something with Wario's um, a while ago, the Mattia Wario sub rolls, and they kind of did uh, a play on, I think, one of the cheesesteaks, and they were also doing their own stuff kind of up in the Akron area. If you go through their Instagram feed, you can kind of check that out, what they were doing. And then also follow CLE Family Meal. That's kind of the food bank that they kind of started you know, to help people during COVID and everything. And they'll touch on some stuff and do some updates too with that as they have time. Also follow us at SpoonMob. Check out the website, SpoonMob.com. And then also make sure to follow, subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app that you're using. Appreciate everybody listening. Uh, If you're new, welcome. If you've been here for a while, thank you for your continued support. Continue to help spread the word. And when you wind up at one of these restaurants or chefs that wine bars or whatever that we've kind of featured on this podcast, make sure you let them know that you heard about, you know, them on the Spoon Mob podcast and you listen to their episode and everything and help, you know, kind of spread the word and make sure they get the positive feedback that they know that coming on the podcast was worth their time and effort and everything. We always want to support everybody as much as we can uh, because they support us by coming on the podcast and giving us some of their time. So we want to make sure we give back to them in any way that we can and help their business continue to grow and thrive. That way, um, you know, there's places for us to continue to visit too as well, because these are places that we think are among the best of the best and everybody should be checking out whenever they get the chance. I do have a couple mini update episodes coming out. So we'll have one next week for you with a returning sommelier. And then we'll also have a brand new episode for you on Thursday too, as well. Like I said, mini episodes are kind of sporadic. I think they'll be kind of every other week um, for a couple of weeks. And then there might be a few weeks that go by. We don't have one and then, then we'll have one again. So that's why you want to follow, you know, subscribe to the podcast. If you're not doing so that way, all those episodes, just as soon as they get uploaded and released, they just hit your feed. So you can just listen to it right away and download it. If you have to, if you're going to listen to your car and your way to work or whatever you got going on, but uh, appreciate everybody as always. And we will talk to you guys next week on Tuesday.